comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me, as always, is the man of the hour, the man full of power, Logan Stop. The fourth is just strong with this one. Um, hey, hey, how's it going? What's going on, Jordan? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Not that you didn't know that before we, don't, we did this. Uh, yeah, we, we don't, don't talk, talk a lot. ever. Yeah. Um, we text occasionally that just says <laughs> interview at this time, and that's pretty much all we we don't. We're not friends. We don't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, we actually despise each other. So if anybody has, if anybody thinks that we have good uh, chemistry together, it's it's all acting. forced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, sorry guys. This is like our our like we did two of these today so we're kind of at that loopy bit right now i feel like and we're recording this yeah. intro after we did everything else so it is, <laughs> we're, at that, we're at that point now um logan who what team are we talking about today because i don't know who are we talking about what are we doing well i was gonna say it's funny because i just had a conversation because i'm a high school teacher and i had a conversation with my administrator today and he goes how often do you do these things it seems like you're up every day doing these and i was like it it's starting like to it, feel sir. like that <laughs> it's starting <laughs> to feel like we are at this but people really appreciate the in-depth uh previews i can tell you from from different things so we appreciate you guys yeah. listeners um but yeah we're covering the chicago fire today and we have alex campbell on uh, and he's covering uh, the Chicago Red Stars. He covers the NWSL team over there at Hot Time or Hot Time in Old Town. There we go. Um, and they are the SB Nation version for the all things Chicago soccer, which it sounds like they are packed with with uh, Chicago soccer. It's just about getting those fans passionate about Chicago soccer. All right, let's go ahead and welcome Alex in. The Stateside Soccer Show, talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. And now we go ahead and welcome in Alex Campbell. Uh, how are you today? Doing good, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, where can uh, first question uh, as we talk uh, sh some Chicago Fire here is where can people uh, follow your Chicago Fire work and how long you've been following or covering the Chicago Fire? 
Um, there's really not one best place to get everything these days. Um, so on Twitter, I'm at Alex underscore S underscore Campbell. Um, that's probably the best place to find my stuff. Um, right now, these days, I'm, I've been doing some work over the last year-ish for Hot Time in Old Town, which is the SB Nation site for all things Chicago soccer. So Fire, Red Stars, what have you. So that's a good place, as well as um, my personal website, alexcampbellsports.com. I post everything I do anywhere there. So that's kind of my aggregator. Um, man, as far as covering the fire, I got started doing that back in 2018. Um, began with I helped out MLSsoccer.com with some of their MLS Super Draft coverage, which that season was in Chicago. So that kind of get my got my foot in the door and they were looking for some help with periodic fire stuff. So that is how how I first started covering the team in between MLS, uh, Hot Time, and my own podcast, SoccerCast Chicago. I've, you know, been in there in different capacities in and around the team. And so it's crazy to think time flies, but this will... No, excuse me, not 2018. I screwed up. 2019 was my first year covering the team. I always sometimes I forget what year I graduated graduate school and I know it's the same year. So, yeah, this will be my third season um, on that beat in some capacity or another. Yeah, uh, that's hey, time moves uh, differently for everybody, but I definitely feel the same. Sometimes I don't know what year. <laughs> anything is in at this point <laughs> that that's really true 2020 really just threw it all off yes it did i'm gonna say i don't even know what year it is right now <laughs> <laughs> still feels like a continuous year it's been 700 days or something crazy yeah uh so last season the chicago fire we usually like to ask our guests uh, for a reflection of 2020 you know they recently have rebranded to a new logo, new crest that they're already announced that they're rebranding again because of the fan backlash on that. Uh, they got out of the what the Bridgeview uh, area and back into Soldier Field. Uh, what uh, if if we were to ask you to reflect on 2020 season for the Fire? What were your overthoughts on the season, both on and off the pitch? It was. It was a weird mixed bag. I mean, so they finished outside the playoffs, which in a season where the playoffs were expanded is not good. Right. Um, they had a chance on the last day of the season to, if they won and other things fell their way, they could have gotten in, which I don't know if it really would have changed the way I felt about everything about how they did, but you know, they, they kind of get blown off the pitch at home. I mean, not blown off the pitch, but I mean, they, I mean, they give up, what, four or five goals to NYCFC, the culminating one and a really bad back pass and, a, a, you know, a, a play that kind of surmised the whole season. Um, you know, it was going to be tough regardless with how much new, how many new faces were on that team last year. Um, you know, they didn't hire a GM till around Christmas. And, you know, then they didn't hire a coach until January. So you had a new coach with a lot of new players, not a lot of time. And then you throw 2020 into the mix. Um you know, we finished that season in terms of MLS and you look at the fire. I'm still not sure what their best 11 is. And I think that's, that kind of sums up a lot of things. Um, you know, you had Johnny Bornstein, who's, you know, a veteran of the league, still playing more minutes at left back than he was probably aiming for. You had new signings coming in that were a mix. I thought Alvaro Madron had a good debut season and he's going to be a guy to watch this year. Um, Boris Sekulich, not so much. And it seemed like he kind of struggled, you know, shifting from playing on the right side of a back three at the start of the year, where I thought 
he looked pretty good. He was much less comfortable as a traditional right back. Um, you know, Robert Barrett scored a lot of goals, which is good. I mean, if, if you're going to sign a designated player striker and pay a transfer fee, I think he lived up to that hype. But, you know, you still had concerns about Nacho Aliceta in his first year in the league, um, maybe being a bit underwhelming. Uh, Shemiswaf Frankowski continuing to have his issues with finishing, although he scored a blinder of a goal in a preseason game against Orlando the other day. Um, so, yeah, I think you got to look at 2020 for the fire and just kind of shrug. It, it's hard to really, t- as far as what happened on the field, it's really hard to say a whole lot about it. Um, Georgia Mihailovic is gone as he's been traded to Montreal for what I thought was a really good return. Um, $900,000 in allocation money with a potential to rise to a million, if my numbers there are right. Um, and so that there's, there was just a lot of questions, um, you know, on the field, if you look at the signings they've made, and maybe we'll get into this, it's a couple speculative guys and uh, Stanislaw Ivanov has already gone out injured and is going to be out most of the season. Um, I think Jan Espinosa, who's a right back, John Espinosa, excuse me, is, is a good signing. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's a guy that scored against the USU 20s a couple years back and has kind of been a rising star in the Ecuadorian national team setup. Um, you also mentioned off the field, though. I think it's been a positive offseason in that regard in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the mood around the club a year ago wasn't good, just flat out. Um, you know, you mentioned the fan reaction to the logo um, between that it got rid of the red kits, that it didn't really maintain any of the design elements that were associated with the club, that it had elements that may or may not have resembled the logo of a local gang. Um, And that was somehow (laughs) the sort of thing that if you had consulted with Latino voices in Chicago, would have certainly been pointed out to the club. I think that was really the biggest thing is they made this decision to rebrand. And it appeared there was a process of consulting people, of fan input, of other input. And I'll be honest, the result, I didn't see it. Like, I, it was hard to see how the values of the fan base were reflected in anything that went on there. So while they messed that up royally, I think you it's you, you can only give so much credit, but I think some credit does have to be given to a team that says, hand up, we screwed up, right, and we're going to redo this. Um, and I think so far, for the most part, the way they've been redoing this is encouraging. There's obviously a lot of focus on the crest itself because that's kind of the big thing. Um, they've brought in Matt Wolf, who is the veteran of a lot of projects around the soccer world that have received high acclaim for their design elements. Um most recently, the Gotham yes. FC redesign yes. in the NWSL is his handiwork, and as is the Racing Louisville branding in NWSL, yes. who just released yeah, he's good. Um, amazing kits. So yeah. that's a real reason for optimism. It seems like the process has been much more transparent. I'm excited um, about what that looks like, and I'm, I'm hoping that you know some of that gap between the fan base and the club can be repaired because the other thing that's happened is we have seen now officially a total change in the front office um andrew hotman is gone as the Mm -hmm. owner joe mansueto now the full owner of the team and maybe more importantly to a lot of fans nelson rodriguez the former gm and more recently former kind of coo of the team is gone um and and he's a guy who 
I mean, I'll, I'll withhold my own judgments, but I'll simply say that the fan base felt very strongly about and mm-hmm. supporters felt very strongly about was a negative force in terms of the club culture. And so those two guys being out of the picture, Joe Mansueto comes in and bringing a lot of money, frankly, and has already invested a lot behind the scenes. Um, and no, without Mansueto, you don't have the money to buy your way out of the Bridgeview contract. Um, right. Pay exactly. off the remaining of that. So I've talked a lot here, but basically coming off of last season, I think for, on the soccer side, it was pretty meh, but I think uh, in terms of the club culture, I think there's definitely been a need for kind of some, some healing there. And I think, I think that has started. And as far as I can tell, I think the club have undergone that in good faith. Like I said, as far as I can tell. So I think, I think there was hope for this season that the continuity of the squad will help after a year and that Rafa Wiki can kind of get his ideas drilled in a bit better. Um, But it's, it's, I think people want to feel optimistic. It's just maybe a little hard to find really good arguments to feel optimistic. Right. Uh, Just a quick question about the crest as a follow-up. Do the fans or, you know, do you expect it to kind of have kind of like look, kind of similar to the original crest maybe updated in different ways or do you think maybe something just brand new is what's going to be unveiled if you had to guess so we've got some indication on that um the club have been giving regular updates about the redesign process and the input they've been getting um they started with a really big survey that got a lot of input and they shared the results of that they've been focus grouping and from what we know is the fans made it very clear they want to see back in the logo uh they would like the florian cross back in the mm-hmm. logo and they would like the Chicago city flag star back in the logo somewhere. Right. So my, my gut is at this point, the, the club has more or less confirmed we're going to get all those things. They haven't said how, but they've basically said, yeah, we're going to bring all those elements back. So what I'm imagining is that you're going to get something, you know, we saw a lot of fan-made crests on the internet over the yes. last year and a half. Yeah. And I don't think you're going to get something that matches anything like that, but I think that's going to be more the feel is it's going to, you're going to, I think you're going to end up looking at the, from what we know, at least I get the sense you're going to look at the new logo and think this is a Chicago fire crest versus the current one, which doesn't really have any discernible connection to the right. previous, previous branding. So no, I don't think you're going to basically see the old logo with a couple small tweaks, but I think it's going to clearly be inspired by the old crest. Awesome. That's all I want. I'm not a fire fan, but yeah. like, you know, I, I remember when they unveiled this and I was like, oh, they had such a good crest originally. Uh, I was gonna said, say, yeah. Go like ahead, the, the, the whole thing too is, is when you look around the clubs too, I mean, obviously they all have different issues with their front office obviously rsl has their issues over there you got nycfc you've got some things going on and enter you know you've got clubs that just don't listen to fans and, and i think that's what was the coolest thing for me on the outside looking in the chicago fire are i mean the fact that they were like okay fine we'll abandon this whole crest that we worked on and we're going to rebrand it to what you guys love because you're the fan base that we love not the nycfc that kind of just shoves it to the side and goes i guess we'll figure it out later which is or a club to foot situation right (laughs) right and i think the other thing here it's less maybe about the specifics and it's more about joe mansueto at the beginning of last season said if you guys hate this we will change it and i think it's the fact that an owner said something that definitive and then stuck to his word i think right more i mean obviously fans want to see the crest redesign so that's important but i think really the overarching theme is 
that they feel like maybe the club is now in a position where they can believe management, which hasn't been the case for a while. I mean, Mm -hmm. really, you could argue it's never been the case with this club since the early days. Um, So I think that really was the newer thing than anything. It's like, oh, wait, this, this guy who came in with his billions of dollars and bought the club made a promise to fans and actually kept it. Like, I think, you know, don't get me wrong. That that doesn't get Joe Mansueto off the hook forever. Like they're right. Right. The fan base is going to keep holding him to things he says, but I think for him to stick to that one specifically. And as we know now, pretty much halfway through the season, the club looking around and saying, yeah, this is a, this was a bad idea. We need to, we need to start thinking about how do we fix this? I think it's given him a lot of credibility with the team. I mean, we really haven't seen the spending on field yet. They made a couple decent sized signings before last season. But again, the, the amount that he seems invested in making the club is the best, you know, the best organization he can, the early signs there seem good. Yeah. And I was just going to say too, like you said, I think that helps. It's like a, it's a promise that's easy to keep, right? I mean, yeah, he had to put more money into it, but it's like, it's, it's something easily fixable compared to like, Oh, I said we were going to bring this certain player in. It's like, oh yeah, we can change this crest, no problem if that's what you want. And to be able to right. just follow up with that, right? It's it's a, it's you know it's a it's an expensive win, but right from a yeah. PR perspective, it's a very easy win. So kind of getting into more specifics, um, and still kind of keeping in the theme of identity. Um, Wiki's first year in 2020, a rough year for any new manager. Um, what was the identity under him and, and how do you see him playing in 2021 with pretty much the same roster with just a key, a couple different additions? Well, we saw him at MLS's back start playing a playing a back three. Um, generally, that was with uh, Francisco Calvo on the left, Mauricio Pineda in the middle and Boris Sekulich on the right. And then a front two of Barrett and Nacho Aliceta with Aliceta kind of in a free role. Um it seemed it we found out basically that's not how wiki wants to play it was i've had no time with this team and we need to try to just not ship goals so we're gonna we're gonna do this um and he kind of you know it took time i think to get the to get the team where he wanted it um they ended up basically playing a 4-2-3-1 um like a lot of modern modern managers it's clear wiki wants a lot of the ball um he wants to play out from the back um you know he wants his midfield to be very dynamic um you know, we, we learned a little bit, but I think we're going to have to wait and see, um, you know, and pros and cons, because, you know, when you want a team to play out of the back, what you saw a lot of was play restarting with Francisco Calvo and Mauricio Pineda, who became that first choice center back partnership. Pineda partially by virtue of Johan Kapelhoff missing more or less the entire season injured. Um, and those guys are generally comfortable on the ball. Pineda played as a defensive midfielder for his entire college career at North Carolina so, you know, he's kind of got that instinct already. And Calvo's best asset probably is his passing range. Um, so you had this, you had a center back pairing that was very adept at that. Um, you know, the fullbacks were, you know, a question mark again. This is a team that two years ago had zero right backs on its entire roster. So they've come a long way from that. But, you know, still between, you know, you saw Boris Stekulich play there. You saw Brant Bronico early in the season deputizing there as he had under Velkoponovich, which was something I was never really personally a fan of, um, you know, and then the other really consistent part of the team, and I talked about the midfield needing to be dynamic, and this is something I think we're going to have to look at this season, you know, from the outside of, of how the fire work with this is, 
the pairing of Gaston Jimenez and Alvaro Madron. Um, and this, a system like that, that, you know, your double pivot normally has somebody who's more of a defensive midfielder and Gaston Jimenez looks the part cause he's large and he's just a big dude. And, but he's not really that guy, um, you know, to make a comparison to a player in like Europe, he's kind of more of a Jorginho type at Chelsea, just way bigger. Like he looks like he should be big and imposing and he is a physical mm-hmm. player. But he's not a stay-at-home, I'm going to cut channels and run around a lot and clean up fires, number six. He's very much more of an eight, and Madron is somewhere between an eight and a ten. So occasionally I felt like the fire, well, with the ball, that might work well. They did feel vulnerable defensively because not only did you really not have somebody in that defensive midfield pivot who was going to fly around with challenges, you've got a center-back pairing who aren't really traditional out and out defenders, so to speak. I mean, Pineda is clearly still improving and I think he'll get there, but we know how Francisco Calvo is prone to what I would call a David Luiz moment every so often where he'll inexplicably Mm -hmm. do something. Um, So I think, you know, by the end of the year, we saw more of an idea of how Wiki wanted to play. Again, 4-2-3-1, keeping the ball. A number 10 who, with the ball, is pushing up as a second striker. Without it, is dropping in almost as an eight. And uh, Fabian Herbers kind of became the preferred guy to do that job. Uh, we're going to get a better look this season at Luka Stojanovic, who tore his MCL a few minutes into his debut in, at MLS's back. So we really don't have an idea of what he is yet. And then there's the mystery that is Nacho Alicedo. We saw him as a 10 last year. We saw him out wide on the left, which is, I think, his best position. But when you sign a guy at that age for that kind of money and pay him that kind of money, that brings expectations and we just didn't see it last year. So I think we only really got a strong hint of Wiki's, you know, philosophy toward the end of last season, really crystallizing. And we're going to learn a lot from the get-go because now he's had a full preseason with these guys to, to work on things, to figure things out. And so, you know, I think we're going to learn how much of what we saw last year is truly his philosophy as a coach and how much of it was, just trying to make the best of what was not a great situation. Uh, you mentioned Mahalovic earlier. Uh, we just want to quickly talk about the departure of CJ Sapong and uh, Mahalovic. And do you think these two players will be missed at all? Or was it time to move on for both the club and the players? I'll start on, the, I'll start with Georgie um, on the field. I think Georgie's going to be missed tremendously. Um, you know, he's a guy who, maybe still wasn't at his best. If you go back to that 2017 season, which was really his breakout where he unfortunately tears his ACL in the playoffs against the Red Bulls. I don't think we've ever quite seen that player back, Um, but we still don't know the whole situation. It is something we thought might be solved when Panovich left, but there had been some, some discomfort behind the scenes brewing for two years. Um, His relationship with Panovich was not good. Um, And then Last season, again, we didn't really get much because um, he, he he certainly didn't seem to want to talk about it anytime anyone hinted at the fact that, hey, is everything going okay? Um, I just think his relationship with the club had soured and you could see that sometimes on the pitch. And so as good of a player as I think Georgie can be, I really think it was, I, I don't know if there was much of a choice that everyone had to move on. Um, I think Georgie certainly wish, wishes he was playing in Europe instead once he left the fire. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, Back in 2017, he was on that path to be one of those guys who plays two, three years for the hometown club and then leaves. Um, So I think Fire fans wish him all the best in Montreal, but I think that decision 
I think he still fits the system where he wants to play. Although I'm not certain that playing off the left wing is really where he's best. And we've seen multiple managers in my mind, make that mistake. And I think he's certainly better centrally. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens to Georgie in Montreal. I mean, that's a, that's a roster that's got a lot of holes on it. He's going to be asked to do a lot for that team. Um, so we'll see. Um, CJ Sapong, on the other hand, I think the locker room will incredibly miss CJ. Um, I think the locker room really missed CJ last season, although, you know, he had a, a daughter who was born prematurely and he made a decision that he needed to be with his family. And I think everyone understood that. Um, but they certainly missed him on the field from a soccer perspective. And as a guy, even at his age in his 30s now, as a guy who can be a good second option, a boost off the bench, a guy who can play out wide if you ask him to. I mean, if you look who's coming to replace him, you know, Chinoso Ofor, who's a Nigerian striker, most recently played in Latvia and looked pretty good. But, you know, scoring goals in the Latvian league doesn't really tell us much. So a lot's going to be asked of Ofor to be that backup for Barrich, um, I think. And, you know, can he do what CJ Sapong did? So I think, you know, I think it really depends. But I think CJ, both on and off the field, was a positive presence on this team. And so I, in more ways than one, you're looking to replace him. Um, I wasn't sure if he'd be back in the league this year. I'm glad to see he's got a chance in, in Nashville. And I think much like Georgie, Fire fans really wish him all the best because he wasn't in Chicago long, but he made a really positive impact, I think, as a person um, while he was here. So kind of moving into specific questions. Um, I was looking through the stats. They, they, they finished 33 goals scored, which was tied for ninth or 10th in MLS. But the, the thing that really stuck out to me was expected goals. They were third in the league. I mean, right behind the Sounders. Um, and I think it was, I can't remember who was on top of them. But, um, but it, nevertheless, the fact that they finished third uh, stood out to me as like, this attack isn't something that finished. And obviously, Barrett is a huge uh, piece of that. But I mean, what do they look forward to going or forward to in 2021 to help the attack and getting those goals into the back of the net? This has been a problem since that 2017 season where you could argue they, I mean, expected goals weren't as much of the conversation back then, but mm -hmm. I would, I would certainly say they probably overperformed. Um, and so what you've seen is kind of a more things change, the more they stay the same situation, because in 2018 and 2019, it was suddenly Nemanja Nikolic forgot how to shoot and he just couldn't finish anymore. Um, and Nico Gaetan came in and couldn't finish. Um, mm -hmm. No one really could. Um, and now for a couple of years now, as I mentioned a minute ago, you've seen Shemislav Frankowski, a guy who's got lightning pace, gets into good positions, but it's as if once he gets to the 18, he's not, he just isn't sure what to do. His, his passing in the 18 is not good. His finishing is worse or has been at least. And like I said, he scored a great goal in preseason the other day. Maybe that's a good sign, but the fire have been a very good chance creation team for a couple of years now. And they were good at it last year. And again, Jimenez, and Madron were really the two drivers of that. Um, Fabian Herbers chipped into that as well. But I think what you saw last year is no secondary scoring source for Barrich. Frankowski had chances, didn't take them. Aliceta had chances, didn't take them. Um, you know, Elliot Collier, preseason wonder. Elliot Collier, greatest player in the world in preseason, um, you know, has not shown that he can be a finisher at the MLS level consistency consistently. So, that's really, I think, why, you know, Ivanov being hurt, guy who's a Bulgarian under 21 international, 
him being hurt hurts because he was supposed to be one of the secondary scorers. Um, so it's going to be looking to largely the same group, guys like Frankowski, Aliceda, Herbers, um, maybe Chinosa Ofor. It you know, the Fire are looking for goals in places they traditionally have not gotten goals from. Um, you know, can they maybe be a better set piece team? Which is one of those things they don't exactly have huge center backs. Um, Francisco Calvo's 5'10", 5'11", and I think Mercio Pineda is maybe six one. So it's not like they've got anybody back there who's going to go towering in. This is not a big team other than Barrich. Um, so that, that's really the, the question. Barrich could score 20, 25 this season, but it doesn't change the calculus that you need some other source of goals. Um, and so that's all well and good. I mean, and it's kind of the hot topic now, but there's there's definitely a a Brighton and Hove Albion aspect to the fire over the last few years. They're this team that can play at their best, they can play good soccer. Even in 2018 and 2019, when they looked miserable and allergic to goals, they played some good soccer. Um, the question is, can they turn good soccer into goals? And can they do it without somebody like an Amanya Nikolic type figure overperforming his stats and, you know, just being kind of, you know, a godsend, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of questions about this roster and plenty of questions about this squad, but that might be the biggest one is who is the secondary scoring source? Because we just don't know. And uh, you just spoke about Barrage there too, finished second in the golden boot, you know, tied for second in the golden boot. Uh, What do you think, uh, you know, that was a shorter season. What do you think the realistic expectation is for him to score in a full 34 game season? I mean, last season he was on pace for, what, 22, 23, if you go on a full schedule. I think the expectation, I think the floor has to be probably 15. But if this team wants to go, wants to go, you know, or if this team is going to go where they want to, he's got to hit 20. I mean, the way this team is built, they have no shot at the playoffs if Robert Barrett does not score 20 goals. Unless, unless Nacho Aliceta comes out of nowhere and turns into Christian Pavone, um, which honestly, I mean, is, is it possible? Sure. Do I think it's going to happen? No, probably not. So I think, you know, it, it doesn't feel fair to Robert Barrich, like I said. So I think, I think he's got to be scoring every other game, like at a minimum to you know, not only be worth his salary, but just kind of like what you'd expect him to do based on what we've seen. But I think, I think that the output, I think he's got to hit 20 if, if the fire have, have a shot at the playoffs. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you. This team has <laughs> the corner marked on the most difficult names to say. Um. <laughs> yeah, they've got a couple. Uh, I mean, I've really, once you get Frankowski down, you just have to say his name fast. I was going to say, you, is it Shemov, Shemisov? Shemiswa. Shemiswa. <laughs> At um, least that's the closest you're going to get unless you know how to actually pronounce things in Polish. Yeah, no. Which I don't. I don't. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of it, the, the two wings, um, is there is there some concern behind, because uh, like, I was looking at depth charts and there doesn't seem to be much in behind them. Because there's not. Um, right. You know, it, Ivanov was going to be fighting for a starting position. Um, and now you're going to almost certainly have Frankowski on the right and Aliceta on the left. And then behind them, you have, I mean, can 4 play wide? We know nothing about the guy. So maybe he can, maybe he can't. Um, Elliot Collier, who again has shown in the preseason to be awesome, but we haven't really seen him get a consistent run of form ever in MLS. Um, and, you know, 
we saw a lot of times last year he'd come on the field and just try to dribble people and no offense to Elliot but a six foot four dude who's kind of slow <laughs> isn't really who I want taking one-on-ones I just didn't think that was a great strategy um and then after that you know you're looking at kids um Brian Gutierrez um Alex Manis um Javier Casas. I mean, you're looking at guys and guys who don't really have a position nailed down yet. We've seen them play as eights. We've seen them play as tens. We've seen them play as wingers. They kind of just get thrown around everywhere where they need to be. Um, and, you know, Fabian Herbers can play wide, um, especially maybe if Lucas Dojanovic can really hold down that number 10 position if he ends up being the guy there. You're absolutely right, though. This team has a winger depth problem. Um, it's got a depth problem in general, I think. Um, there's a lot of young guys and based on what we've seen in the preseason, those young guys are going to be asked to play a lot of minutes. Um, you know, and we saw Michael Vang, a guy from forward Madison get brought into fire preseason training camp. And when Ivanov went down, the assumption was, oh man, he's got a really good shot to make the team. Now, ultimately he doesn't make the team. He goes back to Madison. Um, and, you know, I'm sure the fire initially when they, you know, when they made that foreign Madison partnership last year, the plan was to probably ship all the kids to Madison. Well, last season you had three of them there and Chris Brady became the starting goalkeeper, but like, you know, the other guys didn't play all that much. And now you've got a season where the first team squad is so thin, you're probably not going to be able to send any of these guys right. out on loan because you simply can't afford to. So it's certainly not where the fire wanted to be when they signed all these homegrown guys, not this off season, but last so, yeah, no, de- depth is a problem. I mean, the injuries we've seen already are a big deal. Um, you know, if, if they were to get any more on the offensive end, I don't know what they do. Um, and it's not like they have any open DP spots. They can't just go out in the summer and throw a bunch of money around. There has been speculation about whether Nacho Alaseda can be bought down. Um, and the answer is nobody knows because MLS being MLS – and the fact that we didn't get full accounts and salaries for last year, and we're mm-hmm. not going to, um, we have no idea what he makes. And it's safe to say we we don't think Barrich or Jimenez could get bought down based on their transfer fees alone. It, it seems unlikely. Um, Aliceta, though, you know, could he be converted to, you know, a, a you know he's a young DP now, but like, could he be converted to an under twenty two initiative player? Well, that doesn't officially exist yet. And we don't know because we don't know how much he makes. So the fire are kind of stuck right now with where they're at. That's the risk you run when you sign players like Barrich and Jimenez to the deals they signed them to. Your roster structure is kind of immobile. And so they've gone out looking for young guys, mostly on the defensive end, to kind of fill in the numbers. And, you know, if all those young guys hit, great. But, yeah, in terms of depth, the homegrowns, at least one of them, if not two, are going to have to become – regular squad contributors this season there's really just no way around that so i mean you might not know off the top of your head but do they have guys that with the compact schedule and that that'll be missing any kind of time with international duties or anything like that so it really depends um frankowski was a regular polish call-up he has not been called up the last couple of windows um barish is good enough to be called up by slovenia but has not been a member of that squad in recent times um Gaston Jimenez recently um made a one-time switch to Paraguay so you can expect him to get called in every window and then uh Francisco Calvo who was recently on duty with um 
Costa Rica. He's going to get called in every time. John Espinoza is more or less in the Ecuador first team now. So looked for him to get calls. Um, let me think who else. Um, that's kind of the core group of guys you expect to get called into camps. Um, you know, there's a little bit more depth on the defensive side, but yeah, there's a handful of guys. I mean, the only ones that feel like you're definitely going to see them go every time are Cabo and Jimenez. Um, those guys will definitely be going out the door, but you know, if someone in the Poland squad, let's say picks up an injury ahead of the euros, you know, could Frankowski get called in for the euros? Yes. It's, it's on the table. Right. You know, if let's say, this Lewandowski injury keeps nagging and they just need a, a warm body in the forward, in, in the forward group, you know, or on, on the wings, you, 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 you don't know. So it's possible. Um, I think fire fans can feel pretty good about Barrich though. Again, the fact that we have not seen him called into the Slovenian team, you know, recently, um, you know, would seem to me to indicate he is not currently in that picture. Uh, moving into the midfield, you mentioned Stoyanovic, uh, Stoyanovic's uh, injury uh, last season and him uh, coming back off the injury now. Uh, is he expected, you think, to uh, – like, is he all good to go for the start of this season? And uh, who do you see him being paired with in the midfield? So as, as far as we know, uh, Lucas Stoyanovic is fully fit. Um, he scored a goal against Orlando the other day in that 2-2 draw. It was the second goal after Frankowski's. Um, I basically expect, you know, we're going to see the, the pivot's going to be Jimenez and Madron again. We can debate the, the, the soccer merits of that from a tactics perspective. But, you know, if they're fit, Madron and Jimenez both start. And there's really no question about that. The question is, what, how, how does the midfield look? We have seen Johan Kapelhoff playing as a defensive midfielder this preseason. Mauricio Pineda can play there as well. There's there's been some hint that maybe Wiki realizes I need a I need somebody in this midfield to hold. I need somebody who's going to be in there and who can just break stuff up. Uh, and Pineda and Kapelhoff are better at that. And you know, I would personally like to see Alvaro Madron get a shot in the number ten spot. I think he you know he's not the most athletic guy, and I don't mean like he's not in good shape. He's not ex- he's he's not a guy who's going to go sprint around a lot. Um, but he's a really good passer of the ball. He creates space well for other players. And so I think we could see him in the number 10 spot. Um, Fabian Herbers is dealing with an injury right now. Nothing serious, but he's a doubt for opening day. Um, I think in the first couple of weeks, like I said earlier, we're going to, we're going to learn a lot because maybe Wiki realize, you know, Alvaro and Gaston were great together, but you know, you really can't play a pivot with those two, you know, maybe that leaves you too vulnerable. So I, I honestly don't know what we're going to see. I mean, I think if it's Jimenez and Madron as a pivot, I think on day one, Stoyanovich is the 10, uh, especially with the other entries and everything. Um, if he decides to go with a Pineda or a Kapelhoff in midfield to be a more defensive presence and kind of be more of a traditional number six, then I think you see Madron playing as a 10 or maybe it's more of a three-man midfield with Madron and Jimenez alongside each other and Madron being the guy who gets furthest forward. Um, it's going to be interesting. Again, it's, you know, we saw Nacho Aliceta as a 10 last year. Well, given the current injury situation, there's no way he's not starting at left wing on opening night. It's, it's, I, I, I would be, sh- I would be shocked if the front line at Soldier Field on April 17th is anything but Aliceta, Barish, Frankowski. There, you know, that's just, it's just who Raphael Wiki has at his disposal right now. So 
Lukas Dojanovic is an unknown quantity. He's a guy who scored a lot of goals for midfield in Serbia, um, which again, you know, it's not quite as low of a level as Latvia for 04, but it's like, okay, so you were a goal scoring midfielder in Serbia. What does that look like in MLS? And we really don't know, but he is a guy who is going to be looked to for goals. And again, if the fire are looking for a secondary scoring source, Luka Stojanovic's profile as a guy who's going to, you know, as a 10, want to be that second striker, he's got the profile for it. The question is, how does he look on the ball? Does he have the passing range and, you know, the foot skills to do the rest of that job, not simply the putting the ball in the back of the net part of that job? It's a kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in Man City, I'm a Man City fan, and, and watching them, they, they, they put out a double pivot with Fernandinho and Gundogan. Um, and, and Fernandinho is known for his defensive ability. I mean, he's, he's really good defensively getting back and, and kind of covering the, that back line. Um, and I think what you said was that Jimenez is not quite the, the one that's going to get back and kind of cover that. Is that some of the problems that, that Chicago saw last year as far as, you know, kind of covering that center back position and then some of those mistakes that, that Pineda, I think it was, that, that uh, had, or not, sorry, not Pineda, Calvo had um, last season? Yeah, I think as I kind of alluded to this earlier, I think it's a combo. I think you've got a midfield that doesn't really doesn't really shield, and you've got two defenders who are more passers than they are tacklers. Um, so I think that combo, you saw a lot of space at times between the mm-hmm. midfield and the defense, and that just gave opposing attacks so much room to work. And that's, I think, kind of where maybe what we've seen in preseason comes into play. Would it make more sense to, say, return Pineda to his college position and play him as a six, or maybe you try it with Kapilov. Um, We haven't seen as much of Pineda because he's been in Olympic qualifying, but yeah, would it make more sense to put Johan Kapilov next to Francisco Calvo and have Pineda in front of them as, as a protector? I think it would certainly make the fire defensively more solid. And then you can debate the merits of the impacts it has further up the pitch. Um, No, I think that's definitely an issue. I think it's still an issue on this roster. You don't have a center back. You don't have a physically dominant center back in this team. Um, Tehran, who's a young Colombian defender, has the physical profile. He's huge. He's like six foot three, six foot four, really big, athletic, you know, big guy. And, but we haven't really seen a lot of him. He seems like a very raw prospect. And I, the fire kind of have this entire back line built of like Latino youth internationals that they hope I think develop together. I mean, so, I mean, now Espinoza, I would include Pineda in this group. He's American, but you know, um, Espinoza, Pineda, Tehran and Navarro who are all 22 or younger, I think. Um, well, Pineda might be 23 now, given that he was in college all four years, but it's this young group of guys, but a lot of that talent is very raw and Tehran is in that group. Um, so maybe eventually he's that guy, but right now he's not. Um, Wyatt Omsberg is, I think, and he's an MLS backup. You know, he he had he showed well for forward Madison two years ago. That's how he kind of got to the fire, but I haven't been overly impressed with him either. So I'm intrigued to see what Wiki thinks is the solution to this problem with the squad he has. Because again, yeah, there is no Fernandinho type on this team. I mean, there's no Fernandinho replica right. in MLS, but I mean, right. I look at guys like um, an Eduardo Atuesta, out in out in LA or in our tour in Columbus. There is not that guy does not exist on this roster. Now, if you had to recreate someone like that, Mauricio Pineda might be your best bet, I think, because 
he played the position in college, not to say that the NCAA D1 level is anything like MLS. And he was also playing for one of the best teams in the country at UNC. But in terms of a guy who's physical, is willing to dive in on tackles and has a decent passing range, all of which we saw from center back last year. And I, you know, he had his struggles at Olympic qualifying, but he made some really good tackles, I thought too. If you're looking for a guy in this roster to do that job, I think he's the closest fit. But again, he just got back to camp a few days ago. And so, you know, is he starting opening night? I mean, if you want, I would not put money on guessing a an, an 11 for the fire on opening night because we just, the, the quote-unquote first 11 might not have gotten a chance to play together yet by then. So it, it's really hard to say. I mean, it's crazy to think that that's, what, a week and a half away? Um, and that we're approaching this quickly. And so, yeah, to go to circle back to original point, um, the space that got left between the defense and midfield was both a symptom of the players, but also presented an enormous challenge because once attack opposing teams got into that space, those kind of one-on-one defending scenarios are not the bread and butter for players like Pineda and Calvo. So it was kind of a compounding issue, I thought. And I'm sure it's something that Raphael Wicke has given a lot of thought to. And again, his choices in lineups this preseason would seem to indicate that it's something he's trying to figure out how to remedy. Spoke a lot about the center backs there, but for the options of fullback, uh, who do you see? Like, do they have a lot of options for fullback uh, or any depth there that can help them out as well? So for the first time in forever, I think it's fair to say they really do, especially at right back. Um, They have two different guys that they feel comfortable starting in the game, which has not been the case in a long time. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of Boris Sekulich with the quote unquote first group this preseason. And the question was, is he an athletic enough player? Is he willing to get forward enough? Can he contribute in the attack as a fullback in this type of system is going to be asked to? And he actually scored a goal this preseason. Um, So I'm interested to see uh, John Espinoza much more fits the profile of, you know, the kind of modern fullback. He's athletic, he's quick, he's going to, you know, bolt down the line, try to get crosses in. Um, You know, he's a guy who's going to, you know, cover a lot of ground. And then on the other side, you're kind of seeing a similar thing. You've got Johnny Bornstein, who's a veteran, who's a lockdown defender, who we've seen in a pinch play at center back this preseason. He's a great asset for this team as a leader, I think, when he came into the locker room back in 2019, you know, it didn't solve everything magically, but I think it was a really important boost behind the scenes for the squad. But, you know, Johnny knows this. He doesn't have the legs anymore. He, you, Johnny Bornstein can't play 30 matches in an MLS season and start, he can't start 30 matches. He, it's just, and he would tell you that he would not, he's someone who I think is very aware of where he's at physically. That said for what is he? He's like 36 years old and he's in better shape than I'll ever be. So, you know, he's, he's still a good option there. And I think he starts opening night, but I think this season, they're really hoping Miguel Angel Navarro can come on and make strides as he's clearly supposed to be the left back of the future. Um, And so I think what you're going to see this season is, you know, Bornstein and Sakulich are much more stay at home, lock it down, defend. Whereas Espinosa and Navarro both want to get forward both want to get into the attack and help out. And that connects to the midfield question. You can't play Espinoza and Navarro as the fullbacks. If you've got a midfield pivot of Jimenez and Madron, it just, the math doesn't add up. Oh, well, it adds up, but it adds up to you conceding a lot of counterattacks and probably a lot of goals. <laughs> um, 
So again, that that's going to be something to watch. I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say it's Sekulich and uh, Bornstein on night one. But over the course of the season, I think the fire, you know, and this is nothing against Sekulich and Bornstein. I think the fire are hoping by the end of the season that it's Espinosa and Navarro. So moving into uh, the last piece of the defense, um, Kenneth Cronholm was out with an ACL injury, Bobby Shuttleworth taken over uh, in 2021. Uh, first, I wanted to ask you, is it possible that when Cronholm comes back that, that, that he's an option to go back into in between the post? And then um, can they really rely on the two teenagers to try to challenge Shuttleworth for what it's worth in this, you know, whatever we have left in the preseason start to season? So I think, um, you know, Kenneth Cronholm is a decent MLS goalkeeper. He was, he had his mistakes, but he was the number one when he got hurt. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. And I think a lot of people were by how good Bobby Shuttleworth was last year. I mean, he had been a backup. He had been the Minnesota United goalkeeper when things started. And then as they start to push money around, you know, um, Tyler Miller gets dumped on their doorstep from LAFC, which is a thing I still can't believe LAFC did. Not that Miller is a world beater, but when you looked at the LAFC goalkeeper situation, it's like, man, they could have saved a lot of money. And just got <laughs> yeah, Tyler right. Miller there. <laughs> yeah. North, Northwestern alum, Tyler Miller. Um, shout out. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's Shuttleworth's job until he loses it. I think once Cronholm is fit, the proverbial leash is going to be short um, because, you know, you just can't afford goalkeeping mistakes. So I think basically it's going to be a tandem. And I think those guys from, you know, their demeanors tell me they'll be okay with that. I think they're both very professional guys. They're veterans in their mid thirties. You know, they, they, they know how it works. Um, and I think that from what I can tell, they have a pretty good relationship. So I'm, I don't think you should, anyone should really, really be worried about that when they're at their best, they're more than serviceable. Um, as for the teenagers, um, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, God gasoline has got a lot of time. He's what, 16, 17 years old. But like 2020 wasn't great for him because, you know, again, in, in, the, in the vacuum of a normal world, him and Chris Brady are both starting on loan, or maybe Selene is not starting, but they're both on loan somewhere. And we saw what going to forward Madison did for Chris Brady, best goalkeeper in USL League One last year. Um, and he's 18. So um, it's clear right now, Brady, with, with no crown hole, Brady is the number two. Um, he actually had to forward Madison, who are thin as a squad, actually had to uh, reacquire him for about half an hour the other day in a friendly <laughs> against the fire. They needed, a, they needed a goalkeeper, and so Chris Brady swapped teams mid-game to go in goal for Madison. Um, so, you know, I think forward Madison would have loved to have him back this year, and I think what happened is the fire probably told them, with Cronholm not here, we need a number two, and Brady is that guy. Um the question, you know, you've got to have three goalkeepers on the squad. Um, if it were me, ideally, I'd like to see what you had last year with a guy like a Connor Sparrow, who is your third choice emergency keeper. You're not really expecting him to play, but he's experienced and he's not going to cost very much. And then you can let the kids go out on loan. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to see that. You need three goalkeepers. Um, the question really is, do you keep Chris Brady around as the third and send Selenina out? Or more realistically, I think, and I'm spitballing here, I think it's more realistic that Salinina stays as the third and that if there's a loan opportunity, again, Chris Brady is in, is in the driver's seat there right now, but the Fire have two basically very highly rated teenage goalkeepers. Um, and basically the hope would be that by the time they're like end of college age, that one of them is an MLS quality starter. And if that happens, 
that'd be wonderful for the fire. And if they both turn out really, really good, you can sell one of them for probably a bunch of money in a handful of years. So I, you know, I think over the next five years, that's a, you know, five years from now, they're still only 23 years old, like, and that's still incredibly young for goalkeepers. So that's going to just be an interesting thing to see around this team over the next five years. Cause Gaga Slanina, whose older brother, Nick is in the squad as a center back. Um, you know, he was what at the time, the youngest homegrown signing in MLS history. Um, he was thought to be like, this is the goalkeeper we're going to have in 10 years. And then Chris Brady goes out and just has himself a year in Madison last year. So yeah, I'd, uh, um, you know, next weekend, next Saturday night, um, it'll be, you know, Chris Brady will be the goalkeeper on the bench. You know, unless something unforeseen happens, he'll be the guy on the bench backing up Bobby Shuttleworth. But yeah, the question, there's a, there's a whole lot of dominoes that fall when you bring, uh, Kenneth Cronholm back in because now you've got two very promising teenagers and neither one of them are even making the bench and so the question will be when the secondary transfer window opens does you know maybe an MLS team has a goalkeeper get injured and maybe somebody's calling about Chris Brady um, you know maybe the summer window comes and you know there's an opportunity to loan Selenina to you know I mean he's got a Polish passport as far as I know so maybe there's an opportunity for Gaga to go to Europe and playing like the Polish second division or something um, who knows. So yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. I, I think it's going to be the first half of the season. It's, you know, it, I think it's going to start with Shuttleworth and if he makes a high profile air and Cronholm is healthy, Cronholm will get the nod back. But yeah, I think it's, it's a very fluid situation in the fire goalkeeper room, but I'd, the one thing I will say, it has been encouraging to see both Chris Brady and Gaga Slanina get meaningful preseason minutes, uh, which they both have. So I think, I think that's the best thing because, I mean, Slanina, especially, Gaga didn't kick a ball last year. I mean, you look at a lot of these young homegrown guys, other than Brian Gutierrez, who um, got some minutes off the bench for the fire occasionally. The rest of those guys did not – no one else kicked a ball in a fire uniform. So it's – to see those guys just doing that alone, I think, is a step in the right direction. And you really hope that for all these guys who, again, if things had been normal, Ford Madison would have been half-fire teenagers last year. Um, you know, th that relationship has not been for them yet what they would have hoped. Um, but you know, so that didn't happen. And you hope that for not only for Brady and Gaga Slanina, but for all those young guys, you hope the fact that a 2020 that never happened and a 2021 that really still doesn't allow them to go scatter around the country on loan, you hope it hasn't affected them, affected their development too badly. And the good news is, like I said, I mean, Gaga Slanina is what, 17? So, you know, he's got time. So the goalkeeper situation is interesting, though, because you can envision a situation where a year or two from now, how soon, if you know, let's say Chris Brady, you know, goes out on loan again in 2022 and is a world beater again. How soon do you give him the reins? And I think, I mean, because, again, Cronholm and Shuttleworth aren't getting any younger, and I doubt the Fire are going to want to go spend money on a keeper anytime right. soon. So, yeah, it's probably not this year, but... You know, I, I hope I hope that both Chris and Gaga can get games somewhere this year, wherever that ends up being. All right. Uh, so for the last fire question here, typical question is what would be a successful season for the club? Uh, this is a, this is a boring answer, but it's, it's the right answer. It's making the playoffs. Um, you know, we people joke about this with hockey and basketball. If at least half the teams in your league make the playoffs and you don't, 
it's a failure of a season. And that was the thing about last year. There was a lot of debate. Is this this season a failure? Is it a success? What is it? And I think I settled on, it's not in anything. Like I can't, I can't really give this season a rating. A lot of people wanted to be like, oh my gosh, how do you not make the playoffs? I'm like, well, like, you know, is it good? No, but like inner Miami threw a bunch of money at the wall and had Gonzalo Higuain up top. and didn't make the playoffs either. Um, so no, making the playoffs. I mean, the Eastern conference is, I mean, it's top heavy, but there's still a lot of question marks. I mean, Columbus is going to be good. Um, it sounds weird, but Atlanta is going to be good. If you look at teams that did not make the playoffs last year, that will this year, Atlanta will make the playoffs in the Eastern conference this season. So there's one already taking a new spot. Um, Miami, who knows, we don't even know who's going to be on their team because they suddenly have 40 V's and are public <laughs> about it, which tells you that the punishment from MLS for them illegally signing Blaze Matweedy is imminent. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe that problem is going to be solved for them. Who knows? Um, but they're in a weird spot, but you got to imagine like if Gonzalo Higuain and Rodolfo Pizarro can form a good partnership, maybe the fact that they have no defense doesn't matter. Like maybe they're just going to score enough goals. And then, you know, I don't think they're going to be good, but FC Cincinnati are going to be interesting. Like they might score 80 and ship a hundred, but like, you know, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be good TV, I think in Cincinnati this year. Um so I think, you know, Cincinnati got better. I think you, you have to say that. Cincinnati got better. Atlanta got way better. DC United are healthy and have a new manager. Um, you know, maybe. Then, so they probably won't be worse. Um, so then you've got to look at who's going to come down. Um, you know, the Red Bulls continue to, I don't know what they're doing. They're under new ownership, <laughs> not new ownership. They're under new direction now. Uh, the guy's name escapes me, but he's the for former sporting director from Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Premier League. And it feels like the Red Bull system are starting to take New York a little more seriously and say, oh, wait, we can just use this as our American feeder club because there are, you know, Europe has finally woken up to the fact that there's MLS teenagers with repressed value that they can go sign for next to nothing. Um, and, you know, the Red Bulls just got Frankie Maya. So I don't know what they're going to be, but, you know, I still think they're kind of, eh. New York City's a mess, um, you know, A-Bear's not healthy, so I don't know who's scoring goals on that team. Uh, so I, I think both New York teams would be on the bubble, but the Fire have an uphill fight. I mean, if you ask me right now, I have them ninth in the East. I've got them out of the playoffs by spot, um, you know. And I don't think fire fans will get too mad at me for saying that. I think they kind of will understand why I think that I will certainly explain it and, you know, lay out my reasoning if they'd like me to, <laughs> but no, I think if the, I think if the team make the playoffs this year, it's a success. And if you get bounced first round by Columbus, I, I'm, you know, a lot has been said, but I'm on the train of people who thinks Columbus is going to win the league um, and, and repeat, which is a tough thing to do in MLS. But if you look, they got better. And if you look at the rest of the East, that's the thing like, a lot of people are picking Philly to finish really high. Do we know that Philly are going to finish really high? I mean, you just took Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie out of that team. Who steps up and, and replaces that? I mean, they got a great result against Saprisa on the road the other night, despite the despite um, Kai Wagner almost getting killed. Um, and, you know, so, you know, a lot of those other teams too are going to have fixture congestion. I mean, and the top eight teams after three weeks are going to get open cup. Um, so, and there's also the, the, the Campeones cup or whatever it's called that the fire were spared from this year. So maybe the fire could benefit from every team in front of them, having other fixtures to contend with, because this fire squad doesn't really have the depth to deal with that. Um, I mean, obviously it would be good for the fire to win their first three games, but I don't know if they want open cup. I don't know if they want the extra fixtures. So 
you know, if the fire finished as high as fifth or sixth in the East, I think that's, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, maybe Barrett goes and scores 25 and they find someone else to score 12 and that's enough. But, you know, with the teams around them, I think the fire could finish anywhere as low as second bottom. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, Montreal there, I think they're going to be rooted to the foot of the East. I don't, I don't think there's any way Montreal aren't stuck at the bottom of the Eastern conference, especially now that FC Cincinnati should be not an embarrassment. Um, so I think the fire are going to be on the playoff bubble the whole season. I really do. Um, and we're going to learn a lot about them opening night. They're taking on new England revolution, a team who I think will finish top three in the conference. And um, yeah, it's, they're going to be getting to play in front of fans at Soldier Field for the first time. So yeah, they're, this team's going to be tested this year. And I think we're going to see how much they learned from 2020, but yeah. So and that was a very long way of saying a short answer. If they make the playoffs, it's a success. Um, if they miss the playoffs, you know, then the question becomes, what's the answer? Because I, I don't think there's really any pressure on Wiki this season. I think he's going to get, unless things really go off the rails, I think he gets a third season basically no matter what. Um, but if they miss the playoffs, that seat's going to be red hot. All right. I just have two quick questions for you. I see the scarf in the background here. Chicago House AC uh, just unveiled their logo uh, crest and and club name recently uh what's the feeling like around uh, chicago for that you know i feel like uh th- they're going to be playing in what the nisa yes yeah um, How, are people excited for it uh, it's back at bridgeview for that right yeah so i'd say the the hardcore chicago soccer fan is excited um you know it's going to be i think tough to pull an interest from outside of that because i mean heck the red stars and the fire struggle to draw right um but Nice is going to be, it's going to be a team full of, as far as we understand, a lot of current college players, um, most likely. And especially they're going to be looking to draw from not only local schools, but local players who might you know go to school out of state. Um, so I think the hope is that through the local soccer community, they can pull people in like a college team would try to pull people in. And maybe you get, you know, someone from Northwestern, someone from UIC, someone from, you know, Loyola. And you, and you can draw those various fan bases into the games. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, like I said, the buzz around the, the hardcore community is good. Um, the one thing I have seen, though, is they've certainly put some pressure on themselves with the name. Um, House Music in Chicago has a tradition that's very much rooted in, in the Black community in Chicago and to a slightly lesser but still significant extent the Latino community in Chicago. Um, and so the question is going to be having chosen that name somewhat by fan vote wasn't my choice, but the choice they've made, you know, how are they, how is the name and the branding going to play itself out? Um, You know, I will say that, you know, with Peter Wilt in charge, I think that gives you confidence that things are going to be done the right way. Peter means more to soccer in Chicago than maybe anybody. Um, And so, you know, he, he's someone who I, you know, I know at this point professionally, and who I think obviously has his heart in the right place with this project. He's, and he loves, I think the chance to start a new team here in Chicago, but Nisa is really young and they've got really big ambitions. So I, it's, it's really tough to know what to make of this. I feel like it's kind of a coin flip that, you know, maybe in a couple of years, Nisa has presented a, a true alternative to USL and with no barriers to entry, really, maybe it's become something that fans gravitate to more, or maybe in five years, it's gone. I mean, there, there, there's really no right. way to know. Um, 
you know, they, they've spent on merch and marketing pretty well here. I think they've gotten their design right. Um, you know, but you know, they don't have players, they don't have a kit. Um, that's kind of the next thing. There, there are going to be big buzz opportunities going forward for this team. And it's really going to be how they make choices between now and August when they start play that determine if it's the sort of thing that only the really hardcore Chicago soccer fan cares about, or if it's something that the Chicago sports consciousness is aware of. Right. And uh, Nisa has been kind of getting some big buzz from Maryland Bobcats. You know, their jerseys have been kind of shared on Twitter as uh, good, good kits and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But the last question I have here, it's about the red stars. The day we're recording, this is not the day you'll hear this everybody, but we're recording it right before the NWSL challenge cup kicks off for 2021. Uh do we expect also this challenge cup to be a yearly thing? Like they're taking this as now being like the opening kickoff of the season. And what are the red stars? Uh, you know, what's their expectations for this cup? Well, this is where I plug up some of my work this morning. Yeah. I, uh, we had a piece published at on hot time in old town um, on the SB nation network, uh, my preview for the season, just kind of a primer on all your condensing all the information you need to know, you know, important dates of the year, New players, players who left, expectations, yada, yada. Um, Challenge Cup, uh, the short answer is we don't know. The NWSL year to year, we don't really know right. what they're up to, We know other than that it will exist. Um, th- this, I think the Challenge Cup, though, is interesting because it's really the first time we've seen a true preseason tournament because that's what it is. It is not what it was last year where, where it was mm-hmm. the season, full squads, everybody trying to win every game mostly, you know, although Rory Dames – was one of a couple of coaches who scripted his lineups and everything. Um, you know, it was a tournament. It was the season. There was a trophy at the end. Cool. That's not what this is this year. Um, you know, Alex Morgan today kind of complained about the fact, rightly, I think, that the Challenge Cup was scheduled in the middle of a USWNT window. Like, the national mm-hmm. team players will make probably the third and fourth group games, possibly, of this. But, you know... The Red Stars squad tonight's not going to look like the Red Stars' first choice 11 because it's going to be missing Alyssa Nair, Julie Ertz, and Tierna Davidson. Um, so, no, th- this is very much, a, it is a preseason tournament with a trophy at the end of it. And different teams are going to approach this differently. And Rory Dames said yesterday, or two days ago, I guess now, that he has not scripted for this tournament. He is, he sounds like he's going to try to win within the confines of the squad he has. And But there's going to be a lot of experimentation you're going to see a lot of rotation, try a lot of new things. Again, Mal Pugh is not healthy yet, so we're not going to see her involved, at least at first. I think the hope with her is that she's ready for the regular season. Um, so, yeah, I think putting expectations or predictions on the Challenge Cup is kind of a fool's errand because it might simply come down to the team that can have the most consistent squad from the beginning right. of the tournament to the end. Also, there are no playoffs. It's just if you win your group, you go to the championship game, and that's it. Um so I think it's going to be good to watch, and I think people should go watch it. Um, Paramount Plus, CBS Sports Network is where you can get that game tonight. All the games are on Twitch for free. Excuse me. Um, as for the season, I, I think, you know, it's going to be interesting. And if you want to hear more about this, you can check out, again, my piece for Hot Time. Um, they brought in Sarah Waldmo, an additional central midfielder who is the captain of Sky Blue and an NWSL veteran. So she's going to be fighting for minutes in an already crowded midfield. I mentioned Mal Pugh. She's been brought in as an additional attacking option to help supplement Kaylee Watt. Um, you know, we're really not sure yet what the formation is going to be. Um, 
what who is the first choice 11 Rory Davis has mentioned Julie Gertz playing a midfield what does that do for the defense um you know in the NWSL this season and I say this in in my column um it's it is Portland's title to lose they are a good team that got better particularly adding Crystal Dunn to the mix um but I think it's a lot more wide open though behind that than it's been you know the evil empire of the North Carolina courage is not what they used to be by any means, especially on the back end. They don't have Jalen Howell or Abby Dahlkemper in the back four anymore. And that's going to hurt a lot. Um, they've, they've lost crystal Dunn now too. So I, th- I really think it's going to be Portland are going to lead wire to wire, but beyond that, I think it's wide open. And, you know, I think you should look to see the red stars making the playoffs, making that final four again this year. All right, awesome. Uh, did you uh, did you want to plug anything else uh, before we uh, let you go? Not really. Like I said, um, Alex underscore S underscore Campbell's were to get me on Twitter. Um, I haven't put out an episode in a few weeks, but if you don't already, and if you could go over and subscribe to SoccerCast Chicago wherever you are listening to this podcast, that would be super helpful. Hoping to get more content going there as you know the red stars and fire seasons get going but no i think that's uh kind of what I, kind of what i've got but uh thanks for uh letting me blabber on about the fire for the last <laughs> hour it's uh you know hosting a podcast i'm normally the one asking the questions so it's it, it's nice for a change to get to just kind of you know spew my thoughts about about the team yeah and, thanks and hopefully for it made sense and was uh hopefully it was informative to anybody because if <laughs> We learned a ton. If it was, then um, then I guess I've done my job. And that was Alex Campbell uh, talking some Chicago Fire, Chicago Red Stars, and Chicago House AC. Uh, Logan, what's your takeaway here from our conversation with Alex? Julie Ertz is everything we thought she was. No, um, <laughs> yeah, Chicago Fire. Sorry, she's the that's the wrong one. Um, All right, yeah. What's your thoughts on the fire here? Yeah, I don't know the if that's fire. Okay, fire, fire. That team. Okay, um, yeah. I, you know, I. It's a team that didn't make really any changes that are going to impact them on the pitch. Uh, they've got some young guys that are kind of flyers that I think that, you know, eventually could get into a side and help with some depth because that that's my biggest concern with them. It, it's. Uh, the depth in behind players and the fact that the defense just at times didn't seem to get things done and really shot themselves in the foot. I know Calvo and Pineda oftentimes um, just weren't uh, completely there in, in defense. Uh, it sounds like Pineda might shift up into like that, that maybe the number six spot, if, if that's something they think he can do with, especially with a lot of these teams starting to go into that back three formation. I think that this team could, maybe benefit from that if Pineda can move up and be more of kind of that destroyer in the middle um, and kind of clear up some of that space that he talked about where there's just so much space in between the midfielders and the defense that, and Jimenez and Merdon are not going to, they're not really going to, you know, cover that space and defend and get some of those uh, tackles that they need, especially, you know, in the, in the defense. And, and I think that that's a big concern and it still is a concern and there's nothing there that's fixed that. Um, so that that's my biggest. I mean, that's a that's a big issue, right? I think when we've talked about teams, like he said, he ran through all the teams pretty much, and it, it was helpful to hear him spit it back out because I thought I was going nuts and thinking different things. Um, yeah, but he had very similar thoughts to what we had, right? I, I mean, you're looking at teams since he got better. Uh, you got DC United, who will probably be a little bit Should better, be maybe. Better. Yes, 
you, you've got teams like Toronto and Philly that I don't think are falling very far, especially the way that Philly played the other day. I think that they've actually played pretty well. So you got teams like Atlanta moving up. You've got Red Bulls. They got up Frankie Amaya today, uh, the day that we're recording this, and they're better. NYCFC, I think, are kind of that bubble team. I think they're the ones mm-hmm. that you could see kind of shift around. But Chicago, I think, is in that same ilk. I think, I, I, but I do think Chicago Fire have better options. So I think that this team might be better than an Inter Miami, especially if uh, Gonzalo Higuain is not going to score. Um, they might be better than, you know, NYCFC. It just depends, seriously depends on the, the health of that midfield. Um, Sajanovic, if he can come back and, and perform, and then if they can get anything in creation uh, from the wingers, then I, I think that this team is also maybe a team that is that bubble team. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I keep flipping back and forth on some of this stuff. I, I think, <laughs> I think Miami should be better than Chicago. When you look at the talent. And I think, Phil, yes, ne- I think Phil Neville is being undervalued as well. Yeah. Um, I think that DC should be better. As we said, I think Cincinnati should be better. To me, that puts them near the class, near the bottom with with Montreal. Really, uh, I think that's where I'm kind of leaning at this point. We'll see, we'll see because I keep changing stuff. I do have preliminary rankings that I'm going to probably tweak a bit before we record our uh, our next, uh, you know, our, our not the next one. That's Orlando, but you know the uh, before we record our prediction show. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this team is going to be – look, the fact that they were not really that great last year and Barrett was second in golden boot shows to me that it's going to be a problem for them. Even if he gets, like, 20 goals, I don't know if it'll be enough to really help the team overall. They need goal score. Like, they need another option. That's what it comes down to. Can they find a second or a second and a third combo? to get those expected goals. Cause they were top. I mean, it was top three and they're up there with like Seattle and Portland or, or sorry, no, it was Seattle and LAFC, I think. And it was, you know, it's stuff like that. Can they do that? And can they defend consistently in the center back position? Cause that was their big issue. But from what the sounds of it, those center backs are talent that shouldn't be making those mistakes. They have the experience not to make the mistakes. And I think that's why I'm a little bit more high on them. But again, Jordan, like you said, every single time after you won these previews people if you listen to these previews and then you go listen to our prediction show just for fun you're be like wait a minute he just said that chicago is going to be mls cup winners and now <laughs> and now he's saying it's atlanta what is going on <laughs> now they're at the bottom of the table almost collecting the wooden spoon um, but i don't think anybody's going to get that thing away from montreal from the sounds of it it is hard to do this i, I tell you i can understand now why like professionals get stuff wrong all the time is because yes you you listen or you're watching all this and you're like oh i can see the value right yes i can see the value in this like before this i would have said oh they stunk it up right but i can kind of see the value now where i'm like oh he convinced me maybe they're gonna Mm -hmm. be you know he's in ninth place which is like two outside the playoffs i don't think they'll actually be that high and i'm Mm -hmm. trying not to tell myself that they will be that high uh but Let's let's move on a bit because uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll lock in our previews on the preview show later this week. Uh, this episode's coming out on Tuesday. Uh, we have the Champions League back. We talked a little bit about it on the Philadelphia Union after show one, which we also put up as an episode uh, after we went live. Um, 
a lot more people listened than they watched, believe me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but we also had a game after that. We had the Columbus crew who won four nil with some injuries. And we also had Toronto uh, FC hang on and they got a draw one, one. Uh, but you had Josie with a hamstring injury. He's about to get an MRI from the day we're recording this. Uh, so we'll see how the extent of that within the coming days, I guess. But, uh, you know, Toronto didn't play particularly well. They got enough to get a point. I think looking at how that's going to affect my view on Toronto this season, yesterday when I was making my preliminary rankings, I think I had them higher than what I'm probably going to finish with them on just because they held on, yes, but uh, against a Mexican team, that's great. But there's some questions there. Uh, And then you have the crew who had a lot of injuries, which – I don't think we'll hurt them that much. I mean, they won MLS cup after having like three people out. So, I mean, uh, I had like Seattle winning that MLS cup, probably like three, nothing. And it turned out to be the other way, uh, even with crew missing three or four of their guys. So real quick, Logan, what's your thoughts on Toronto getting a draw here and uh, the crew uh, winning four now? Um, I'm not very high on Toronto, uh, obviously, for, for different reasons. Uh, one of them happened, uh, Josie Altidore. I love Josie, but he'll, he'll never be healthy. Like, it's just – it's come it's to every that. every year. Yeah, it's come to that. Like, and, and it's, it's that big muscle. It's the hamstring. It's yep. the thigh. It's, I mean, it's, it's in the big part of your leg that every soccer player needs. And he's just not – he just doesn't look fit. He, he, I mean, he looked exhausted coming yep. off, um, just so heavy in his feet. Um, he's going to get goals because he's that talented. He's that good, but he can't stay healthy. And, and that's the big problem. I, I think Toronto out of all the group uh, or sorry, out of all the leg second legs that are coming up next week, I feel like they're going to get knocked out. Yeah. I, I yeah. just have two of these feeling. are going to go the wrong way. Yes. I can just feel it. it's usually yes. how it works. At least two of them are going to go the wrong way yeah. with Josie. Like you said, I mean, he just left, he, he left mm-hmm. camp in January with yep. an injury, I think it was in the U S yeah. camp and he missed some time last year for injury. He, you know, this is their first game and he got injured and we'll see how extent the extent of it is, but it wouldn't put me past, put it, put it past me. If in a few weeks when he's healthy again, he gets re-injured. I mean, uh, this is what I worry about Pulisic with the hamstring, right? Like when it's this bad, sometimes and, and Josie had injury issues before 2014 as well, but 2014 is really like when he pulled that in the World Cup, first game, first few minutes. Mm-hmm. I feel like it really has just been every year since then, really. It has. I mean, it, it feels that way. It has. Anyway, and I know it's probably frustrating for him too because, you know, he probably just wants to play. Yeah. But if I'm Toronto fans – I'm probably a little upset. Like I understand that he's injured, but if this is going to happen every year, it might be time to move on from him in Toronto because they can't be paying this millions of dollars to Josie right now. If he's never going to get on the pitch and spend a full season doing what he was supposed to be doing, scoring goals. Yeah. And I think IO is a, is ready. So the more time he's going to miss. And and like you said, Jordan, he was, it was, Rumored that he was going to be on the move anyway. This 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 transfer winter. Yeah. Winter. yeah. Um, uh, and Toronto will be in a kind of a I won't call it a hard rebuild, but a, a rebuild nonetheless. And I think that this is a perfect time to kind of move him on, get some money, right? 
um, collect some money, uh, whether, you know, whatever you need to go do and spend uh, to get maybe uh, some more players that, that are, you know, you're starting to see Michael Bradley get towards the end of his. Uh, um, they're in a, like a weird spot for me, Toronto is. And with the new coach, um, with Armas, you know, they're in, a, they're in a strange spot. And I think that that's something that they'll look at. Um, but then going to the crew game, um, it's kind of concerning, right? I mean, you had, I think it was Santos goes down. You had Nagby go down and you had ETN go down. Um, none of them. Two looked... of those also missed MLS Cup, by yes. the way, Nagby and Santos. Yes. Did. So, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. oh, maybe not a big deal. They have so much no. depth now yeah. that Bradley it might Wright. not be bad. Right. When you can bring in Perry Kitchen and Bradley Wright Phillips, um, even Evan Bush can come yes, in. Yeah. Uh, Parente can come in. I mean, you got Kevin Molino can play. Lord, that's, I forgot he wasn't even there and neither was uh, our tour didn't play. He didn't start. So <laughs> you just got people that and Aiden Morris looked good. I mean, God, the, the kid's like 18 or something like that. He'll be in the next Olympics. Um, but man, does do they look good? They're just stacked at this point. Absolutely stacked. Well, hope everybody is able to follow along with those throughout the week. And uh, if you want to reach us here, uh, you can tweet us at Stateside Show on Twitter, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, email us Stateside Show at Gmail. That's how Logan and I contact each other as well, since we're not friends. So you can hit us up there and we will catch you all next time when we talk Orlando City SC. Throwing his body in, it's going to fall for Ibrahimovic! Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show, presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.